You know, if I decide that I've had enough, I'm burned out, I really need to talk to somebody because I I don't know where I'm coming from if I get to that kind of point. You know, maybe I have overcommitted. Maybe I need to back off of some of the things that I've said. Oh, yeah, Helen will do this. Helen will do that. But maybe I just need some guidance. It's real, real important that when we're feeling overwhelmed like that, we don't try to figure it out ourselves. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. And I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Whoa, whoa, uh, hey, hey. Okay, Sam. I'm sorry. This is a program of rigorous honesty. I'm Alice in Durham, North Carolina. Alice. Yeah, our newest addition to the Half Hour Variety Hour. You co-hosted with Don a couple of weeks ago, and now I get to work with you. You poor thing. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Sam. <laughs> you know, let me just say, I don't want to compare, but it was such a pleasure working with Don. He's so intelligent and good looking and his wit and wait a minute. Do I have to read this script? Absolutely not. We totally know Don wrote that. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, we're going to have to work on him. I think maybe we should gang up on Don occasionally. Let's do it. You know, I've I've been doing this one-on-one with him for far too long, and I'm not getting anywhere. (laughs) Alice, have you ever experienced burnout in AA where you you felt you're just doing too much of this AA stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, burnout is an ongoing issue. This morning, I got up and did an 8 a.m. meeting. Then I did a 12.30 meeting. Now I'm doing the podcast. Burnout's real for all of us that are all the way in. It can be a taxing thing. I mean, one of the things that was posed to me early on was, was I willing to go to the same lengths to get and stay sober as I was to get drunk? And yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, And then one of the things I wondered about was in my early recovery, I had all this time on my hands that was easy enough to spend putting it into AA. But as I've gotten the uh, the cash and prizes, if you will, of sobriety, my life has gotten bigger and it's gotten fuller. I still want to have an active presence in my personal recovery and in the recovery community here and working with others, as well as my professional life and, and all of this. So it can be a real balancing act. Absolutely. You hear a lot in the rooms, don't let the life that AA gave you get in the way of your AA life. And that's absolutely true. But you know, this burnout question really is one I think of balance and I'm excited for us to talk about. Absolutely. And and the reason we're talking about it on this episode is because we received a letter from Roxanne R in San Diego. Roxanne writes, a young woman I sponsor remarked that she wished the big book had a chapter on AA burnout. She is like me in that she has commitments at all her meetings, is the assistant treasurer for ACIPA 2024, volunteers at a sober living facility, and sponsors women. It can be all-consuming at times. At only 15 months, it is overwhelming her. Roxanne goes on to say that they would like to hear shared experiences on burnout that might help members who feel like they are drowning in AA service. 
She says, we're getting ready to elect new members, including a new delegate for Area 8 who will serve at the General Service Conference. This is when we really get to see burnout, when people who have been very involved in general service decide to step down and not stand for an open position. That's when the burnout is very obvious. We really wring all that they have out of them. Roxanne, thank you so much for this topic. There's a lot to talk about there. Willingness, giving back what's been given to us, but also surrender, letting go of control. And how do we maintain the balance in our AA life, our work life, and our home life? Yeah, it sounds like a perfect recipe for our recurring episode, Hot Topic, today, AA Burnout. And we have joining us Helen R. from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Alice, are you ready for this? I'm ready, and I'm willing. I'm raring to go. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get to it after this short break. I support the AA Grapevine podcast. Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Helen, would you please introduce yourself and tell us why did you come to AA? Well, my name's Helen. I'm an alcoholic. And that's why I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> um, if I had had any other choice, I would have gone somewhere else, I guess. But I didn't have a choice. I hit a bottom with drinking, but I hit a bottom with the way I was living. I didn't want to live that way anymore. And I didn't think there was another way And then I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I found out I wasn't alone anymore. When was it that you came to AA? April 9th of 1985. Well, that's my sober date. I spent 30 days in treatment and then three months in a halfway house. I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. I just jumped right in because I just didn't want to live that way anymore. I had three children, a husband, a mother who was taking care of my kids for me because I couldn't do that anymore. I I just wanted another life, and Alcoholics Anonymous offered me that. So you've been in AA and active in it for quite a while now. Does that include some, some service work? Absolutely. I was introduced to service work as soon as I got a home group. They said, you need to pick up the ashtrays. You need to go in the kitchen and wash your cups. And that was my first service job. Gotcha. We're not picking up too many ashtrays these days, are we? (laughs) No, not anymore. But I guarantee you, we had a lot of them back then. Absolutely. You know, I got a sponsor and we would go to intergroup and find out if there were any alcoholic women who needed help. Go pick somebody up, take them to detox, or we would pick somebody up from detox and bring them home and talk with them and see why they were coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And it was just amazing to be involved in recovery. So, Helen, will you talk a little bit about the balancing act between kids, a husband, sponsees, speaking commitments, other service commitments, and self-care? It's a lot to have in the air all at the same time. In the beginning, I was involved in recovery. I mean, I was going to like three meetings a day because I didn't know how to live sober. You know, sometimes my kids would come with me. They would play in the other room with other kids because back then we brought our kids to meetings. That was mainly at the noon meetings. And then at night, my mom would keep the kids My husband was also in recovery. He and I were going to meetings just like we did when we were drinking. We went to bars together, and then when we got sober, we went to AA together. Then when I started working, when I got a job, I asked my boss if I could have a long lunch hour. I didn't tell him why. I came to work half hour early and stayed a half hour late so that I could go to a noon meeting. I needed that in the middle of the day to be okay. I was trying to spend more time with my kids because I didn't spend any time with them when I was drinking. It was a balancing act, working, spending time with my kids, making a couple of meetings a day. You know, later on, it was adding a service commitment. My first service commitment outside of my home group was at our local conference, and I did the ditty bags. Now, what's that? Putting little welcome bags together, souvenirs and candy, put them into these little bags and tied them up and got about, I don't know, 200 of them ready. So what did you get from doing that service job? Yeah, I followed my sponsor's directions, and that's what he told me to do. (laughs) But did you find yourself feeling more more a part of the conference? Oh, absolutely. I have to tell you all the story about participating in that first, the Cajun Country Conference. Bob and I went to the conference, and we were so enthralled with the speakers We brought some of the speakers to our home after the conference, gave them gumbo. They had never had gumbo. And, you know, I was a cook, so (laughs) we were so excited to have them in our home. And all of a sudden, the phone rang, and it was my youngest son. I said, Victor, where are you? And he said, well, Mama, we're at the hotel. We had left our kids at the conference. We were so excited <laughs> about the conference. We forgot to bring our kids home. So we oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I guess that might be considered a little burnout because, you know, <laughs> your brain was going in 14 different some, some neural misfiring, at least. That's right. <laughs> Helen? willingness, giving back what was given to me. It's not really service work unless it hurts a little bit. That's a quote from Kenneth C., Don's service sponsor. How do you decide between what is too much AA, too much service work, too much commitment, and what's not enough? 
I wish I could remember who it was who talked about being divinely inconvenient. Ooh, I love that. Isn't that something? I guess my first burnout was, you know, my telephone kept ringing and I was just going, you know, why don't these people call at convenient times? You know, I've told them when to call and they don't ever call at the right time. And then I heard this speaker, she said, I know when that phone rings, God is calling. And I went, oh, crud. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said something else. <laughs> <laughs> That was a wake-up call for me. I felt like I was in burnout. You know, I had too many sponsees, according to me. I've had too many sponsees my whole sobriety, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I needed that many sponsees to keep me out of trouble. Hey, family. Now is the time to stock up for yourself and get gifts for your recovery friends. Until the end of December, there's a 20% off sale at aagrapevine.org and free shipping. Helen, I really appreciate you putting burnout in the context of 38 years of sobriety. You know, you talked about asking people and them not saying yes when you were looking for a sponsor. And so then you don't ever say no to people and how that's a part of burnout. And so from a sponsoring people standpoint, Can you talk about how you work with your folks around balancing life? Because, of course, you can't make people do the work, but we can be an example of both how to take care of ourselves and how to be of service. Sure. I'll talk about my present circumstances. I am retired. I am an active elder. I play golf. I play bridge. I enjoy where I live. And... My first commitment in my life is Alcoholics Anonymous. It's been that way for 38 years. I sponsor a lot of women. And I went to Alaska this year. I was asked to speak. They had get-togethers for their sponsees on a monthly basis. I got to be a part of that. There wasn't anything different in Julie's house. All of these women just showed up. I mean, there were like 30, 35 of them. They were her sponsees and their sponsees and their sponsees. That big community and everybody brought something. I mean, there was food, there was visiting, there was, it was beautiful and wonderful. You know, I think those kind of things can keep us from burnout if we experience the joy of each other. Oh, Helen, I get it. So, I mean, there is so much that I have done with an Alcoholics Anonymous over the years that has felt at times like drudgery. And I'm not talking about step work. I'm talking about general service work and helping events happen and even showing up for a meeting that someone may not even show up for, you know, starting a new meeting or something. But it's those moments, you know, to see the lights come on, to see the light in their eyes, those moments make it all worth it. But I got to throw out there that I was asked recently if I would take on being the grapevine literature rep for a group that I go to on a 
frequent basis, not regular basis. And I told the person who asked me no. And we talked about it for a minute. You know, I didn't just like shut him off and say no, but I, I told him no and why. And the first thing he said to me was, I'm really glad that you know that you've got boundaries that you need to respect. And I think that that's a big part of burnout in AA is me having to learn that because there was a time that if something was asked of me, I did it. No questions asked. Yes, I'll do it. And I, I specifically remember a moment when I was talking with my service sponsor back in, I don't know, maybe 2013, 2014. And he flat out said to me, Sam, no more yeses until you have completed the commitments that you have on your plate right now. And that was a really important thing for me to hear because it's so easy to take on too much. And then that takes us to a place where being an alcoholic, I might be one to blow things out of proportion from time to time. And AA can begin to feel like the enemy that I don't want to deal with that, that can you imagine getting a resentment against what's saving your life? That's not good for any of us. I'm sitting here listening to the discussion with you and Helen, and I'm thinking about the difficulty that I have saying no. I've been sober 36 years now. And when I came in Alcoholics Anonymous, what they taught me was you say yes to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so this question of how do I balance it is very difficult. You know, I think I'm just from that generation in Alcoholics Anonymous. I like the background jobs. I particularly like being a booker. And my home group, the Bronx Big Book Study, meets every single night at 9 p.m. Eastern, every night. And it's a line-by-line study. So there are only certain speakers that are comfortable doing it. I can't even tell them where in the book until the night before. So you've really got to work hard to book that meeting with good speakers. And I booked a new speaker every single night for two consecutive years. And I was fried. I was just fried. It took two people to replace me. And they only would make a six-month commitment to do it, right? And it helped me see that sometimes I create the burnout. It's not Alcoholics Anonymous. It's me. You know, sometimes I think that God doesn't remove from me the things that are useful. And one of the things that I think motivates me is this notion of being good enough. And what happens when you're striving for good enough is you're a great Alcoholics Anonymous servant. Man, you're good. You say yes to sponsorship. You say yes to all kinds of service. But I do think that this question that Roxanne has put forward in the letter is a beautiful question about how do we become not only servants to God and the people around us, but God in ourselves. If, if God is in me, then I have to take care of me just like I take care of you. The, the principle of rotation. You know, that's a really important part of our service tradition. Uh, and it's written into tradition documents within groups and districts and areas and all the way to the service conference. And that particular positions only serve for X amount of time. Yes. And the thing I think that we should talk about here is how groups determine what that length of service is. Mm. You know, the Bronx Big Book Study was a, a new meeting that started out of the pandemic. And so they thought two years was a completely reasonable amount of time to be the booker, right? 
And, and I think it comes out of this other thing that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. We're afraid that no one else will step up. Ooh, and when yeah. the fear that no one else will step mm -hmm. up, we mm -hmm. take the person who's willing to do it and we just give it to them. And, and I think that there are two problems. One is that it creates burnout. But two is that it really doesn't create the space for new people to come in. I don't think people are sponsored into service like they were when we came in. You know, like I said, I started with the ditty bags at the Cajun Country Conference. We certainly had the principle of rotation, and I served in every capacity through the chairman of the conference and the voice of the conference. I went through general service, you know, and I was a GSR, became a DCM. That's a general service rep and a, a district committee member. That's correct. And I sponsor my sponsees that way in encouraging them. But, you know, I'm 74 years old and... <laughs> I've had to experience the principle of rotation in my life. You know, as soon as I learned how to take care of my kids, they were grown and gone. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as I got good at my job that I was doing, the company closed and I had to do something else. When I turned 70, I started having all these health issues that I never had before, mm -hmm. you know, I had to have a knee replacement and I fell and I broke my arm and I, you know, one thing after the other. And so now I'm having to learn to live where I'm at. The whole key is, is my dependence on me or is my dependence on God? He is going to show me what I can do and what I can't do. And he's going to give me the courage to say, yes, I can do this. Or I think maybe we need to ask someone else. Oh, so much. Sometimes we have to let a service position go unfilled. It creates the discomfort that has someone step up to fill it. When I first started chairing meetings that had open sharing, and no one would share. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start talking now. What I learned to do was get to that point where I felt like, okay, I can't take it any longer. And then wait 30 more seconds. And every single time, I tell you every single time, I'm going to use an absolute here. Wait until I can't wait any longer and then add 30 seconds. Someone shares. It's the same thing with our service positions. Sometimes there has to be some discomfort, just a period of quiet that will let that person who kind of wants to do it, but they're not going to do it if somebody else jumps in, it lets them step up and do it. God and nature alike abhor a vacuum. Yes. Create a vacuum. Someone will fill it. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Alice, you got something? You know, I heard Helen talk about the beauty of the fellowship as one of the things that eases the burden of serving. But I also want to offer the gift that I have found, even when I'm divinely inconvenienced, which is almost all the time. I mean, everybody that knows me knows I'd rather lay on the couch and eat bonbons and watch Netflix, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> right? And I do a lot of service, but I, you know, I'm selfish and self-centered and self-seeking. I'm an alcoholic. 
But that service commitment, that was too long, right? I built a national network of people that I love, that I believe love me as a result of that very difficult service position. It absolutely burnt me out. But I think sort of spiritual truth that my dark past is my greatest asset is that sometimes the experience that I have of serving, which makes me feel burnt out, gives me a gift that will forever keep giving. The relationships that I've built in Alcoholics Anonymous as a result of that service are invaluable. Beautifully put. Well, you know, there's this thing of uh, maintaining balance in our AA life, our work life, and our home life. That means that I've got to be communicating amongst all those areas of my life. And I've got to be open to things not going the way I necessarily want them to go. So one of the things that I've learned to do before taking on, before Sam thinks that he is like ready and prepared to do some big commitment, I need to run this past other people. I can run it past my sponsor. If it's going to affect my home life a lot, if it's going to take me away or or just cause an an inordinate amount of stress on me, I might want to talk with my husband about it before I take this thing on because I'm connected to other people today and I have a responsibility to make good choices because I can affect other people's lives too. Now, that doesn't give me an excuse to say no to everything. If I have the time, if I have the skills, if I have the capability to stand up and do the job, I am a firm believer that if it is something that I've run past someone else as well, certainly at least prayed about, then I should make myself available to it. I love it when we have more than one person standing for a service position because then we actually give the body that we're looking to serve a choice. (laughs) Yeah. We want to hear your thoughts on AA burnout. Call and leave us a message. You can find the number at aagrapevine.org. Click on the podcast button up top. Helen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Hi, folks. We need your stories on the individual traditions. Pick one and write about your or your group's experience with it. How has a tradition played a part in your life? How has your understanding of a tradition changed? What is a personal experience where a tradition played a part? Visit aagrapevine.org for guidelines and to submit. He was one of those who had not made it to AA, and then he died. All his friends were sitting around at the wake. One rose, walked over to the coffin, and stood looking down speculatively. He sure looks better since he quit drinking. Oh, Don, that's dark. 1947 was a dark year. <laughs> it's really not that funny. 
Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.